Hey everyone, and welcome back to Country Music Made Me. Thank you so much for joining us once again. As always, please make sure you are liking, sharing, following, subscribing to us on whatever streaming service you are listening on. You can leave us a review, a rating, tell your friends, your family, your neighbors to come on over and have a listen. That support is huge. Today, we're sitting down with Nico Moon. Now, he made an impact in 2019 with the release of his debut single, Good Time. But it was actually 10 years before that that he started to make an impact in country music. That's when he started to write with the Zac Brown Band. Now, over those 10 years, he helped to pen five number one singles as well as many others. Now, coming close to 2019, he decided the time was right to jump into a solo career. And so that's what he did. In 2020, he released his debut EP, and in August of this year, he has released his debut album, and he is ready for bigger and better things. So please enjoy our conversation with Nico Moon. You were born in Tyler, Texas, but moved to Douglasville when you were 10. Now, that is a short drive away from Atlanta, where there was a lot of hip hop going on at the time and, and still is. And then also down the road, the other way, you had Noonan, where you had the country scene. You had Alan Jackson in that area. I believe Travis Tritt was someone that you mentioned you used to see in the community, even out there. And so before you moved to Douglasville, did you have a passion for music then? Or was it not until you moved and had those two influences sort of colliding in your hometown that it really started to take over? Yeah, I've always loved music from day one. Both my parents are musicians. And uh, so I was raised in a home that really nurtured the love of music and also like how to make music, you know, how to create a song. So I was very fortunate in that way. And I know that some of your first memories were of your parents sitting in the living room, just sitting on the floor, facing each other and writing together. And so has writing just always been within you? Do you remember a time where you started to sort of love it? Or has it always just been there for you because that is what they did? Yeah, I've always loved it, man. <laughs> I, I, I've, I've loved it since day one, but I never wrote songs until I learned how to play instruments. You know, I wanted to. And sometimes I would like write little things down, like I guess kind of poetry, you know. But uh, but when I learned how to play, I learned how to play drums first when I was like 10. But then when I was 15, I learned how to play guitar. And pretty much immediately I started writing songs within the first week or two of learning how to play guitar. So I was off to the races. I was never really interested in wanting to learn how to like shred a solo or something. I was way more interested in writing a song. I read that your dad's guitar was sort of off limits, but you grabbed it anyways and started playing. Is that true? Yeah, it was a don't touch the guitar type of house, you know, because I didn't know how to play guitar. I was just a kid. So I get it. You know, I mean, those things are expensive and they're also really delicate. You know, the wood on a guitar is really thin and they can get broke so easy. And so, uh, you know. He knew that I didn't know how to play what I was doing around one. So he didn't want me accidentally breaking his guitar, which he cared about a lot, you know, but I caught the bug and I want to learn how to play. He told me to get me one for Christmas, but I couldn't wait that long. That was sick, damn six months from then. So, <laughs> you know, once I get the bug for something to want to learn something, I gotta, I gotta get to it right then and there. And so when you picked up the guitar, how was the feeling different from that of when you were banging on the drums? 
Yeah, it was real different, you know, I mean, because there's actually like melodic things happening with the guitar that, that a drum can't do. I could actually write to it. Um, it, it you know, my dad's right-handed, I'm left-handed. So that, you know, it's the only thing I do right-handed is play guitar, but it never felt weird to me because I've, I've only ever played a right-handed guitar. So as I was learning, I just figured it out, you know. But uh, yeah, as soon as, as soon as I learned my first three chords, which are the, probably the same three chords everybody else learns, which is G, C, and D, you know, I was off to the races, man. I was I was writing songs about girls that was breaking up with me at school. And <laughs> I was going to ask what the songs were like back then. And if you have if you still have any like pieces of notes at your parents of songs that you wrote back then. Man, I'm terrible about holding on to things. Uh, I'd lose my head if it wasn't connected to my neck. So <laughs> I don't have nothing. But, uh, you know, I can I can probably make a pretty good guess, guesstimation that it was probably highly emotional and uh and involving love and, and and breaking up and all that type of stuff you know this what everybody at 15 years old is concerned with yeah exactly exactly and then after high school before that you kind of moved into sports right and then going into college you got a scholarship was it track in college yeah so I ran all through middle school and high school and I won state in high school and in track and got a full scholarship to college for it. So um, that was like the other thing that I did. I, I was known at school as that kid that runs. <laughs> <laughs> I was poor, you know, when like, especially back then, everybody be like, run, forced. You know? <laughs> that was me. So I didn't really tell nobody I was doing music or anything like that. That was more of a private thing because I, I was pretty insecure about it. And, okay. You know, so I just did it at home, you know. Okay. Uh, then when I got to college, I started becoming – hyper obsessed with music to the point that I wasn't going to class anymore. Uh, I would just stay in my dorm room and learn songs that, you know, learn how to play songs that I loved and writing and just, I literally just didn't go to school, <laughs> basically. <laughs> yeah. What did you have a 0 0.2 GPA? Was it? Yeah, it was something like that. It was a, it was, it was in the O's for sure. <laughs> and so they were like, you know, at the end of the year, they're like, you got to go. You know that, right? <laughs> and uh, I was like, yeah, I know. But at that point, I didn't care. I wasn't really interested in in school, you know, and I wasn't interested in anything other than music, really, you know. Uh, so I, I went home. I got a job doing construction back in my hometown. And I started playing gigs and would play bars at night and and uh, work, work construction during the days. And uh yeah, that was my life, you know. And so was it always country music? Even back then when you were playing the bars, was it mostly, I mean, it was probably mostly covers you were playing, but was it mostly yeah. country music that you were playing? Yeah, yeah, it was mostly country. Yeah, I, I would do, you know, like Almond Brothers and things that were kind of like Southern Rock and Leonard Skinner and stuff like that too, you know. Or I would take a pop song or a hip-hop song and remix it and like do it in a country way, but... I've always been, you know, I'm a country artist. I've always had been. So it's just what feels natural to me. And is that a big part of the influence of your parents? Yeah. You know, they listened to, they were listening to everything, but they were especially listening to like a lot of singer songwriters, but that were almost what we would call now uh, Americana. Oh, okay. So like Nancy Griffith and uh, um, John Prine and Chris Christopherson and 
those type of artists, you know, was uh, the ones they were the Eagles, you know, a lot of Eagles in the house. So, uh, yeah, they had great taste in music. So I was, but uh, yeah, it was always country-esque, I guess you would say, you know. And what was your sound back then when you first started playing the bars? Did you have the same sound you have now or were you more to the countryside and having more of a country twang? It was basically what I'm doing now, you know. It was just 10 years ago, you know, I was doing what I'm doing now. Uh, and uh, I always just want to be a part of music any way I could. I mean, I, I just love music so much. And I, it, to me, it was just more important that I was doing music than exactly what the job was. Right, <laughs> Whether yeah. it was producer or engineer or songwriter or artist. And the songwriting door opened up for me first. Yeah, and So exactly. I went through that door as fast as I could. <laughs> and uh, I was happy to do it, you know. And I've had a blast being a full-time songwriter for a while now. But uh you know, I've always felt like I always felt like an artist, even though I was full time songwriting. And it was just a matter of finding the right time to do my thing and show everybody the way I hear country music. And now's that time. I saw that there were two venues, I think, that seemed to mean something within your journey. There was the Dixie Tavern on Wednesday nights. And then there was the mansion where I believe is where you met Zach Brown. Are those two venues that meant something for you during those bar days? Yeah, they were, you know, the Dixie Tavern um, is a is a bar in, in Atlanta that everybody who's in Atlanta who's trying to be something, be, be a country artist, is playing there, you know. And I used to go up there on Wednesday nights because that ground band was uh, the house band there on Wednesdays before they got big or anything. And so I'd go up there and watch them play. And they were just so good, so phenomenal. And I, I was such a fan of them before I ever, ever even met Zach. Uh, I would just go up there and watch them. They were just like a local thing, you know. And then I, I got booked to play the mansion in uh, Carrollton, Georgia, which is where the University of West Georgia is. And uh, Zach got booked to play there too, but he was playing there solo acoustic, just him. Oh, okay. And I opened up for him and we met that night and he dug what I was doing and you know, I, I I was already like a big fan of what he did. And so he was like, hey, man, you want to write some time? And I was like, sure. And that started a really long, really cool collaborative friendship between us. And we've written a bunch of songs together and it's been great. And was that a pretty quick connection for you in not only yeah, his connection, but also had you thought about the songwriting route up to that point? No, I was, you know. I was just focused on writing songs for myself. I never really, to be honest, even really knew that you could do that. I didn't know it was a job. <laughs> I didn't know it was a thing. You know, I was pretty ignorant to to the goings on, I guess, of like music business, you know. But, you know, he just wanted to write songs and I thought that was cool. And if he, whether he wanted to record the song or I wanted to record it, it didn't matter to me. I just was having fun writing songs with my friend. And, uh, he cut some of those songs and they became big hits. And then I realized, oh, this could be a thing. <laughs> like I could do this like as like for a living, you know, and I did for a long time. And then eventually decided I wanted to move to Nashville and take a swing at writing songs for other artists. So I moved up here and started getting cuts with Morgan Wallen and Dirks Bentley and Rascal Flats and other artists and things took off. And so it's been great. And then eventually, you know, I was like, you know, it's time. I've always felt like an artist. It's time for me to do my thing and make a make an album and like make put out music and see what people think. 
And was there ever a time when you were in that stretch with Zach that you felt like it might never happen? Like you were kind of stuck in this routine of being a writer and that you wanted to get out of it? Or were you just enjoying that ride and knew at some point it would happen, but you weren't focused on trying to push it too hard? I thought that it might not happen, but I'm real big on life, you know, letting life do what it does, you know, and being grateful for what you got, you know? And I was like, Hey, maybe life wants me to be a songwriter. And I love writing, writing songs for other artists and like helping them fully realize themselves as an artist and helping them become the best that they can be. Like I get so much joy out of doing that. Uh, So yeah, you know, but yeah, there was a certain point where it's just like, Hey, I got the time and I've been grateful enough to have learned a lot on how to produce music, how to engineer music, how to write songs. And, you know, and so I knew I could do it myself. So I was talking to my wife one night and I was like, Hey, how about we write all the songs together? And, uh, so we did me and my wife wrote everything together. And I pulled in my, one of my best friends, uh, Josh to, uh, to produce the music with me. I wanted to, to, to produce it together with, with him. And, and, uh, it was a lot of fun, you know, we spent two years making this album and now it's coming out in a, in a few days and I'm just so excited for everybody here. Yeah, that's awesome. And let's talk about, it was 2012 when FGL released Cruise and that was, it's kind of pegged as the moment that the pop world started to drift into country. And even with you writing with Zach, you guys had popular tracks that you wrote together. And so coming in to creating your own music and what you wanted that sound to be, were you confident that your sound could find a place in Nashville or was there still some nerves there because you were bringing that popular sound with your music? You know, you never know until you put it out there, if it's going to be accepted or not, but I've been in the sound for a minute. And so I didn't know at the time, but 10 years ago when I was doing what I've always done, um, it would have never worked, you know, I mean, or it would have never been accepted here in Nashville. Uh, but I had a, a deep gut feeling that now um, the doors had opened up enough for someone like me to be accepted. And so uh, I'm grateful that the timing has worked out to where I can, you know, I'm really grateful to artists like Jason Aldean coming out with like Dirt Road Anthem and Sam Hunt and FGL um, paving the way and making it okay to, to, to do the kind of music that I do, you know, because it, if it wasn't for them, I, I, there's no way uh, I, I would be accepted. And it was July in 2019 that you dropped your first singles that month. You also signed with RCA Sony. And so what was the feeling during that month? Was that the realization of that dream of becoming an artist finally coming true? That was a big month, man. <laughs> you know, I didn't tell anybody I was making an album. Uh, me and my wife and Josh, we just started doing it in my, here at the studio right here. And uh, once we got about seven songs in is when I, I went and I met with Sony and different people around town and like everything started taking off. And so it had, because the music was already done, because Good Time was already recorded and done, things went really fast. You know, like I got a record deal and I got a manager and I got a booking agent and I was on 
the radio like in a matter of weeks and i was just like whoa <laughs> like, it went fast you know and with good time now looking at your social media it looks like the timeline goes you released it as a single in july 2019 it went to radio in march of 2020 and then it hit number one in march of 2021 is that the is that the timeline of how that song developed yeah. Well, when you say when it first came out in 2019, it it, it went to radio on Sirius at that exact same time. Oh, okay. So it went out and then it went to uh, FM radio in March of 2020. And then, yeah, and then March of 2021 is when it went number one. So it's been quite the path for the song. And then I wrote the song a good bit before it came out. So. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. Like you have said that you wrote that song like three years before you recorded it. And so I was going to ask you what that entire journey was like with that song and how that felt all the way along. Yeah, well, when I originally wrote it, I was a full-time songwriter. And so uh, I wrote the song and then I pitched it to pretty much everybody in town and no one wanted it. Like nobody, not even kind of wanted it. Like, <laughs> Not even thought about one, but this is, I think, a big lesson. I think like if there, anybody's listening right now who has any interest in wanting to be an artist one day or right now, you know, to trust yourself and listen to your gut. And um, no matter what people say, you know, in my heart, I knew it was a special song and I knew that there was something to it, but no one wanted it, you know? So when it was time for me, years later to record it. I played it for my wife and for Josh. They loved it. We made some tweaks to it and then, but pretty minor tweaks. And then we released it and it went number one. So you got to listen to, listen to, listen to your heart, you know, listen to yourself. And now it went gold as well. And so going gold and going number one, are there different feelings associated with those two things or are they pretty much the same feeling of just overwhelming excitement? Yeah, it went gold and that was crazy just because it, it just kind of makes it real, you know, that like, wow, like people actually have bought the song like for real, for real, like 500,000 people got it, you know, and then it went platinum and that was crazy. And now it's about to go double platinum. Oh, wow. It's just been it's been overwhelming, you know, and then went, and then going number one on, on country radio was just like every dream that I ever have had in my entire life of, of, you know, making music that really connects with people on a large scale has happened with that song. And it just makes me feel so grateful, you know, to, to get this opportunity to be able to make music for people. It's all I've ever wanted to do in my life. And to be able to do it is a dream come true. So I'm just hoping that, uh, you know, my next single, which is Paradise to Me, that's uh, just coming out the radio, uh, that it'll connect with everybody the same way and that people will dig it and that they'll dig the whole album that comes out August 27th. And what has the journey over the past two years been like? Because as a country music fan, like Good Time comes out and you hear it everywhere. When you hear that, you just think that, oh, this guy's an established part of country music because the song resonates with you and you have that feeling. But then you realize, oh, no, you know, you just kind of started this journey. And so what has that been like of having those 10 plus years 
of just in the background songwriting and then kicking off this solo career and having it just sort of blow up so quickly. Yeah, it's been funny because the people who don't know that I've been a songwriter, uh, they're like, man, he's just like an overnight success. I'm like, and in my mind, I'm thinking, yeah, like a, a 10 year overnight <laughs> success. But it's fun, man. I love both. I love doing both and I'll continue to do both. You know, I'm still writing songs for other artists and I've been writing with Lady A on tour with them right now a lot. And that's been awesome. And I got a song coming out with one of my favorite country artists here real soon. I can't say who it is, but oh, no. someone I've never had a cut with. So I'm excited for that. And I'm, a, you know, and I'm doing my thing. So I love I love playing in both sandboxes. You know, they're just different types of saying. And Dirks Bentley recently had one of your cuts go number one gone. Now, what is that like compared to your own song going number one? Is there a different feeling? I guess, I mean, you've had five number ones with Zach as well. So that might not be a new feeling, but is it still just as exciting? Yeah, man, it's, it, it's just as exciting, but it is different. It's, um, it's hard to explain. It's hard to explain, but definitely very exciting, you know, cause you know, I, I always like, you know, songwriters we're insecure by nature you know and you always every time you write a, a, a really good song you think to yourself is that it is that the last good one i'm ever going to write and everything from here on out is going to be crap you know so when a song goes number one or has success it's like that relief of like i still got it <laughs> <laughs> and with your songwriting i was going to ask your style is creating upbeat music now has there ever been a song that you were writing for yourself that you were like, this is it. This is a number one hit. I love it, but it's just too sad. I can't release it. No, you know, I know that my purpose is to make feel good country music. That's what I'm supposed to do in life. So my brain doesn't even really go there when I'm writing for myself because it's not what I want to write for myself. It's, uh, it's just not what I want to do. But when it comes to writing for other artists, I love writing good sad songs for other artists. Uh, I love a good sad song. I think people think that I don't because of the music I make. They may think that I, I don't like a good sad song, but I do. Uh, so I, I write sad songs all the time for other artists. Well, you need to get those emotions out somehow, right? Yeah, yeah. Life is full of all different kinds of emotions. And uh, and so it's important as a songwriter for me to like write about all the different things, you know. But for my personal music, I feel like what I'm supposed to do is make music that makes people feel good, makes them happy. And that's just what I what I bring to the table as an artist you know but it's important that there's all different kinds of artists that bring all kinds of different emotions to the table and we need it all out there in country music so you mentioned writing all your songs with your wife Anna now how did your life change when you met her would things be very different for you right now if you hadn't have met her yeah life would be a completely different situation who know I I don't even know man I don't know where I'd be um yeah, she's my best friend. And uh, and she knows me better than anybody. That's why I choose to write songs with her, my songs with her, because she knows what I'm going for better than anyone. And she's just so damn good. I mean, she's a phenomenal songwriter. And uh, yeah, she's, uh, I like to think of it as a family thing. You know, we make the music together. She's such a big part of every aspect of what I do. And when you released the EP last year, did you have the rest of the album ready or did you guys write throughout 2020 for the rest of the songs that are coming out on the album? When the EP came out, I definitely had some songs in the bag that, that weren't on it. Uh, but, but no, there were still more that I was writing on like, uh, 
without saying a word is a song that I actually wrote pretty recently that's on the album. So uh, I continued all, all through, all through uh, COVID to, to, to work on the album. And with the EP, did you convert your laundry room into a recording into a sound booth? Yeah, but I did. Here's the thing. Here's the caveat to that. <laughs> I did convert my laundry into a, a vocal booth, but I got two laundries ah. <laughs> in my house. And I think people think it's like that gun, this dude's got, he's got dirty clothes. What's what's he doing to wash his clothes? It's like, I still got a laundry people. Don't worry. <laughs> but when I bought my house, there was a laundry downstairs and a laundry upstairs. And I thought that was the dumbest thing I'd ever seen. And I'm like, who needs two? I just need one washing machine and one dryer. I don't need two of two of them, you know? So the first thing my mind thought when I saw the one upstairs was that'd make a hell of a vocal booth. <laughs> It's the perfect size for one, you know, and it was right next to the to my tracking room, my control room where where I'm at right now. So uh, so it was perfect. So, yeah, I had I had a buddy of mine come in and, and build out a vocal booth in that room. And I wanted to ask you about It's a Great Day to Be Alive. You have that cover on the album. Now, that's sort of a full circle moment, because like I said at the start of the interview, Travis Tritt was an inspiration for you growing up. And, and like I say, I believe you used to sort of see him around the community. And so when you were recording that song because of that inspiration from earlier in your life, and as well as the fact that that song just fits your persona perfectly, what was it like recording it? Yeah, it was awesome. You know, I wanted to have one song on the album that was a song that influenced me and that had a big impact on my life and me kind of reimagining it and doing it my way. And I think it's a tradition, a tradition. I'm going to continue my next album. I'll pick another one that I'll do. And uh, yeah, he lived 15 minutes from where I lived. And so he was um, not only one of my favorite country artists, but he was the artist that made the dream real that here's a guy that's from where I'm from who did it. And so you know, it, it, it made it tangible, you know, that I could do it too. And that was by far my, that's by far my favorite Travis Tritt song. I'm a big Daryl Scott fan, who's the guy that wrote the song. And so uh, I couldn't think of a better song to, to kind of be that, that I, I almost call it my inspiration track on the album, you know, and every album will have one inspiration song where I reimagine it. That's awesome. And as far as your music on this album, I've heard you talk about growing up that you really resonated with the music, but the lyrics when you were younger, you didn't necessarily understand what they were talking about and really get it. And so I was just wondering with your music now, with the focus on lyrics versus music, is there one that you focus on more because of that upbringing that you had where you were focused more on the music or are you focused on both the same with your own music? That's a good question. I've never been asked that question. That's a good one. Um, I focus on them equally, but at different times. So I focus on the music first and then the lyrics second, but they're of the same importance and I spend the same amount of time on them. You know, uh, I want people who you're either kids, so you're not really thinking too much about the music, or maybe you're just the type of person who isn't like a big lyrical person. You, you listen to music because you just like the way it feels. I want those people to love the music and for it to feel great for them, you know? And then the person who likes to dive in deep and get into the lyrics and 
and all that, I want the songs to be really satisfying for them too. So they're just two sides of the same coin and they're both equally important. And so after so many years of being behind the scenes and now finally having a full length album coming out, how proud are you of the work that you've been able to create? Oh man, I'm so proud. And, you know, I think just as people, we should be really proud and passionate about what we do in life, right? I mean, life's way too short not to be. And I believe in it a lot. You know, I mean, if I, if, if I can't believe in myself, then, then who else is going to believe in me? You know? <laughs> so I've put my heart and soul into this. My wife has put her heart and soul into this. And this is kind of like an album from our family to y'all's. And, and I'm so excited for people to hear it. And I, and I hope y'all like it. And I can't let you go without talking about the Opry. Talk about that first time and what it was like, especially because it was when there was limited capacity. I noticed there were a few people sprinkled in the seats, but what was that like to not only play it, but play it to sort of such a bare audience and just have the, the grandness of it in front of you? It was epic. It's a moment I'm never going to forget ever. No other genre of music has an Opry. Um, we're the only one, you know? Literally every single country artist who's ever made any sort of a good size impact on country music has stood on that stage and sang. No other genre of music can say that about a place, you know? So the weight of that is heavy, you know? It's, it's an important thing, you know, when you're there, you're being accepted into a long, long lineage of, of artists that you're standing on their shoulders. So even though it was, um, it was, uh, I mean, every artist that's ever meant anything to me as an artist, even songwriters, you know, stood there and I'm on those shoulders. And so even though it was kind of uh, empty crowd-wise because of the restrictions on how many people could be there, it was packed with the spirit of those people. So, it was an it was an amazing feeling that I'm eternally grateful to be a part of. And that's what I was going to ask you about the spirits of those who have been there. Is it almost a more nerve wracking experience without an audience because you're there to imagine who is out there in the seats watching you, and it might be those spirits of the people who have played before you? Man, I played there that first time. And there was, you know, it was really limited capacity because of COVID. And then I've played there since to a packed out house and 100% the same nervous both times. (laughs) It's the same nervousness, man, because it's the circle itself that gives the nerves, you know, Um, that, that circle of wood that you stand on that everyone stood on. That's, that's what gets the hairs standing up. I wanted to ask you about your godson because I saw a few posts on your Instagram about him throughout the years. I was just wondering what that relationship means and how you're inspiring him through your music and allowing him to sort of be a part of that. Yeah, his daddy is my best friend. And we've been we've been boys for a really, really, really long time. And uh, it's been beautiful watching him get married and have a child and start his own family. And then the honor to get to be, you know, his sons, to be Anders' godfather is huge. You know, it's a big thing. And actually got a little music video, a little mini music video I'm going to be releasing really soon for one of the songs on the upcoming album that stars my godson. Oh, nice. So uh, 
yeah, it's great. You know, he's a great kid, super sweet. And to be able to kind of like let him uh, get some, ex you know, some, some environmental experiences that maybe he maybe normally wouldn't get, you know, I hope that he digs it and looks back and thinks that it was, it was cool to be a part of some of this. That is awesome. So the album, August 27th. Now, I know every song will mean something to you. And obviously you kind of create an album with the songs in the order you want them to go. But when people pick up the album, download the album, stream the album on August 27th, what song for you would be the first song that you should listen to on that album? That's a good, another good question. <laughs> I would say, you know, I spent a long time ordering the album uh, and trying like every possible order I could think of. And the order that it's in, I personally really like. I, I think it kind of takes you on a ride. So um, my suggestion would be to just put it in and press play, you know, or go wherever you listen to it, just press play and listen to it all the way through. That's awesome. And being a writer, are you constantly writing? Are you already? writing for what the next project will be do you ever stop oh yeah i'm knee deep in the second album already um and it's coming out great i can't wait for everybody to hear that but yeah i can't turn it off man it's it's uh it's just it's just who i am you know it's what i love to do and you mentioned writing on the road with lady a now you do write all of your music with your wife but in those writing sessions with other people if there's ideas that come up will you write for yourself in those sessions or do you really just focus on the artist you're writing with and you take a step away from yourself during those sessions? You know, you never know. Uh, never say never, you know, uh, if a song just starts feeling, feeling right, you know, uh, you never know. And Anna's on the road with me. And so she's been writing with me with Lady A a lot. So you know, if we write a song that's for me, then that's great. You know, if we write a song for them, then that's great. To me, it, the most important thing when I go into a write is just to focus on writing a great song and uh, everything else will figure itself out. Thank you once again so much for joining us. And thank you to Nico for stopping by and sharing his story. Be sure to check out his new album, Good Time, wherever you stream your music. Please also make sure to like, share, follow, subscribe to us wherever you're listening. And you can also leave us a review, a rating, tell your friends, your family, your neighbors to come on over and have a listen. That support is huge. Thank you once again for listening and we'll see you next time on Country Music Made Me. Music.